this podcast is supported by Viator. With over 300,000 plus experiences across 2,500 destinations in a variety of categories ranging from walking tours and cooking classes to multi-day excursions and helicopter tours, follow my link in the descriptions to get the perks and the discounts. Also supported by Maud, a modern intimacy, modern sexual wellness company built on quality, simplicity, and inclusivity. They're on a mission to make intimacy better for all of us people. Use my unique promo code AliciaE10 and get 10% off your purchases at the checkout. Also, never run out of clothes to wear. Use the link in my description for a discount on your membership for Rent the Runway. Support me in building the personal libraries for young readers in Houston. My link in the description will help you and lead you to donate for our book drive. Don't hesitate. See you there. Welcome back to the Vines by Alicia podcast, a lifestyle show that helps women 40 plus with lifestyle tips to enjoy their 40s to the max through education, conversations and inspiring interviews. This podcast was designed to empower all of you, my 40-plus women, to be the baddest of them all. Today, I want to introduce to you a new friend and a fellow podcaster, Linda Garcia. Linda is the CEO and founder of In Luz We Trust, a community focusing on BIPOC investing and generational wealth. Linda wrote a book called The Wealth Warrior, The Eight Steps for Communities of Color to Conquer the Stock Market. It was just published a month ago, and I cannot wait for you to get a hold of this book. I read it on Audible, quote-unquote read, but I enjoyed every single chapter. This is a woman with an incredible trajectory from Texas to California, from movie studios to the podcast worlds. You're in for a treat. A mom and a boss, my favorite combo. Let me know what you think. So good to see you. So I'm really excited for today because um, I I finished your uh, your book. Oh wow, that's Audible. awesome! So basically, I kind of got started on it like a little bit on my Kindle, like I did like a little review, and then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to it because I like listening to it when I'm like going back and forth where I'm going. So. Sure. And your voice is so pretty. Thank you. You Thank have you. like a very soothing voice. I don't know if people have told you that, but it's like calming for some reason. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> I that. So pretty. So welcome to the podcast, Linda. Welcome to Vibes by Alicia. In this podcast, I love bringing inspirational stories. I love bringing education um, to women 40 plus. I think um, a lot of, I hear so much of like, oh, you know, I don't want to get to that age or, you know, a lot of millennials that I know are like, oh God, I don't even want to think about it. But I feel like it's such a, like an amazing time in our life, you know, like a lot of things just start to open up and there's like a sense of freedom. I don't know if you felt that when you turned 40. Yeah, I actually was looking forward to my 40s because I read a book by Napoleon Hill. I can't remember which book it was, but in one of his books, um, he actually talks about the power of men in their 40s. I mean, obviously, these are books that were written in the 1930s. Yeah, Women yeah, yeah. were not well, centered. How to, influence, how to influence people. Is that the one? 
No, not that oh, okay. one. That's I, like I, the most popular one he has. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know what? It's the most popular one he has. And it's my least favorite it's not, oh. <laughs> out of all of his books. But yeah. um, a little dry. Yeah. Yes. And uh, he he talks about how he was studying men that turned 40 and like in their 40s, they stepped into like a personal power that was tangible and um, they could start to see their their um, like internal success manifest in real life. And he he started documenting like this person wrote this book, this person did this. Mm -hmm. And. I remember being in my late 30s and I don't get caught up when someone says a man can do this in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah. that means I could do it too. Of course. So, yeah. yeah. So um, I was so excited to experience the power that he talks about in his 40s um, that he also felt for himself. And the moment I turned 40, yeah, I felt like immediate manifestation, like everything I was had been working so hard for leading up to my 40s was now um out, like outward facing. Yeah. So yeah, I love my 40s. I know, like for me, when I turned 40, I knew that I wanted to open like my own business. I had been like, um, supporting my husband through his own business and through everything he was, you know, he was doing. And then I just said, you know, when I turn 40, I'm just going to just go ahead. My kids were already in middle school, uh, in high school and middle school. So I was like, this is my time. This is my time. And I told my boys that too. I'm like, okay, mom is doing things different now. Like she is like straightforward. You can get on the train or you can get off the train, but I hope you get on the train. That's awesome. <laughs> That's train. awesome. Yeah, so I started yeah. the business at that time, and then I um, and then years later, you know, I started doing more things and uh, and that kind of thing. But for me, it was just such a like a great, and I don't ever hesitate and tell people how old I am. Like I'm always yeah. super easy and comfortable with saying, "Oh, I'll be 48 in the summer," and they're like, "Oh, okay." I'm like, "Yep, I got a 20 year old." Like I just feel like I love it. Like I love my life. I love you know just living it in the, my 40s, and I'm looking forward to my 50s too. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. So you know, one thing that I, I found about you that I connected with you right away, it was something that you mentioned in one of the um, in one of your chapters. And uh, talking with Linda Garcia today, she's the author of eight steps for communities of color to conquer the stock market. And, and it was just published literally in April, correct? April 11th. Yes. And I've been seeing so much amazing PR with you and like a lot of great places that you're going and, and speaking engagements that you're doing. And it's such a good book and it's an amazing, amazing good book. But um, I, I wore a t-shirt that I made today because it reminded me of you. It says your intuition knows her shit. Yes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I made this shirt a few years ago and I, I still sell it on my website, but um, my goodness, like your intuition for you was so important. It was like your power source. You call it your power source. Tell me about that because my intuition for me is super important as well. Like I count on it a lot. Like my gut, I go by it. Yeah. I began discovering my intuition when I was a, a really young girl. Um, I started to understand that there was like an inner dialogue that sounded like my voice, but it like told me to do things or to follow things or to go to certain spaces. 
Um, so it's a voice that I started listening to very, very early on. I would spend a lot of time in we I, I'm from California and I grew up in a town called San Juan Capistrano. And it's this beautiful town. There's a lot of like horses and hiking trails. And in front of our house, there were there was a, a big horse stable and there were a lot of hiking trails. And as a little girl, my intuition would call, like, tell me to go there. I would go there and I would play for hours in that space. And I think really just listening to that voice and connecting with myself, with the land, with nature really made me understand myself in a very intimate way. Mm -hmm. So much so that I would <laughs> challenge my parents on what they wanted for me. I mean, I think my biggest decision uh, early on with my intuition was that I wasn't going to do my first communion. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I don't think at least that that's like normal for kids to have an intuition that strong or that yeah. they listen to the intuition and challenge religious views or mm -hmm. you know traditions my mom was or, traditions yeah. yeah and I was I mean I was little and my mom was like you can't you don't get to decide like you have to do this because you have to go to heaven if you don't do it then you're not yeah. going to go to heaven and I never felt scared of that I felt that was not true <laughs> and you, I, caught on to, you caught on to it so quickly yeah. <laughs> and I made the decision to stand up for myself and not do it. And I think my mom really got to know me like I there's I can't make her do anything. And so that was like one of the biggest decisions, my very first biggest decisions I made with my intuition. And that kind of reflects the rest of my life, to be completely honest. I use yeah. it continuously. No, and I notice it in your writings. I notice it in the way you do things, um, how you feel about, you know, taking risks, how you feel about, um, you know, just your growth as a person and spirituality and all that that's become a part of you. Like, like that resonates with me, too, because I actually left religion completely and I left the church and I left all, you know, all of that, like when I was 19. Um, but it's like a big, it's like a big um, move. It's, it's something that like had been brewing in me, just like in you, like for years. Sure. And then I just decided that, no, I wasn't going to continue, you know, doing what I guess we were raised to do. Right. Or we were like told we were supposed to do. Um, and thankfully, like my parents were super cool and they've always been super cool about it. They never like really pushed it on us or our the kids and me. Um, so I'm really grateful for that because I grew up yeah. without it, you know? So for me, it's very spiritual as well. I connected to my Native American roots. And um, for me, that's that's really something that I just um, cherish now and just really, you know, hone into the, the energy of the earth and that kind of thing. Yeah. But um, you discovered that our menstrual cycle affects a lot of the decisions that we make. And this is really, really cool and interesting to me because... I feel like, yes, we're like in, in tune with our feminine nature, with our reproductive system, with the way that our body just functions. Um, I love that. Tell me more about that. And and like, how do, how should we as women embrace that now? Yeah, so I had no idea that we were 
like we had phases that we went through emotional phases that were reflected with our menstrual cycles of 28 days. That's the cycle that we naturally carry versus like men who are on a 24 hour cycle. And so we live our lives on 24 hour cycles the way men do in terms of like feeling energetic and then in the morning and then wanting to wind down at night where women experience that type of cycle throughout 28 days. I, I started my period and I remember sitting there and while I'm like on the toilet (laughs) Uh and I, and I'm sitting there and I'm my intuition as she does says you need to, there's a reason you have your period today you need to look that up. And I was, and every time my intuition tells me to do something, I know I'm in for a rabbit hole. Yeah. So I start to do all of this research and realize it's the new moon. And I start to dig and do more and more research. And I find out that there's, uh, we're normally supposed to either menstruate uh, in the masses on the new moon And then occasionally there's women that will menstruate on the full moon. Um, And then there's, there was traditions in the Bible and in different cultures that are discovered where women would menstruate together in tents. Yeah. The the men, I read the book. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, during that time while they're menstruating, they were instructed to tap into their intuition and yeah. to tap into what source universe God was uh, communicating uh-huh. to them. And so I went through that entire process and learning experience and it taught me so much about how to curate my own personal life and to really stay present and attuned to what my body is feeling in terms of the type of output that I want to put in um, and when it's time for me to rest and when it's time for me to work. So I really try to honor that even in my goal setting, my intention setting for the year, I don't begin that process until spring versus January. I feel like January is is a reflection of our 28 day cycle where it's internal during menstruation. It's more of like when you're tapping into your personal wisdom, when you need to be resting. So I try to incorporate um, that throughout kind of the way I curate my life. Yeah. And I think think it's, to me, it makes sense because, um, you know, for me also, when I was 13, I learned a lot about that. And I made like a conscious decision when I was learning along the way. And I was listening to, to radio shows about it. There was like a, this guy on the radio that used to do like a naturopathic thing on the radio. And my mom used to listen to him. So I used to listen to him with before. And I made just like a very conscious decision in, 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 in myself at 13, that I was going to listen to my body, no matter what it said. And also like, I never took birth control or I never did anything to mess with my, my, my cycle, you know, mm-hmm. cause he mentioned that to me at one point at 13, 14 years old, he mentioned how it's so important that women like really um, utilize that energy for, for empowering, as opposed to seeing it as like a, like a hassle. 
right? Yeah. Like it shouldn't yeah. be seen as like a hassle. And so I, I, and in my whole married time, I never took one birth control pill. I never did anything to mess with that flow or that sense, because to me, I felt like if I tapped into it every month, it did give me something in return. Oh, it, yeah. It gave me an energy or, or a sense of self. And even those times when they were like, really difficult or hard for me, I always felt like, okay, but at least my body's functioning as it should. Yeah. For me, I never took birth control either. I couldn't. That was something that I was a conscious decision for myself. I think it was more of an intuitive decision at that yeah. time. I didn't yet know about the cycles or that even birth control with hormones was suppressing oh. that you weren't having a real period. It's, yeah. it's not a real period. So you're not tapping into that energy, right. but I just, my body would reject it immediately. I, I never was able to, to, to do that. So I think intuitively my body just said, no, we, we're not doing this but um yeah and i think it's important for our younger girls to also learn how to tap into that energy and how to learn about you know ovulation times or how to feel how to sense for those times because i think it really gets you in tune with your body as a woman and instead of seeing it as something that's like a hassle or something that like oh i can't wait for this to be over because i'm already perimenopausal and so i'm already like going through months where I'm not having a period at all, you know, because I'm already going through that change. Um, but I can still feel something, I can still sense it, I can still, I still know when it's about to come, I still know when it's, you know, what it's giving me in those days. And um, I love that you you talk about that. And, and I went back to your podcast and started listening <laughs> to all the episodes. Because <laughs> I'm like, yes. oh, I want to know more, I want to know more, I want to know more. So thank you for bringing up that conversation as well like your intuition is so important and I think as young girls we're taught to like you know just to be nice like you feel something yeah. about somebody and you're like no no quiero like I don't want to I don't want to hug that person I don't want to say hi to that person I don't like them um I think a lot of times we're told by our family like no put your you know you're a good girl mm -hmm. go say hi go talk to people you know que van a pensar you know que, que mal educada that kind of thing right Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's with my son, I find myself, he doesn't like saying hi. And there's specific people that he just does not want to hug them or touch them. And inside, yeah. I have to battle myself because sometimes they're extremely close relatives. Yeah. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, they want to hug you or they want, you know, and I have to internally fight that because... Yeah you know, it's, he has to be able to assert his boundaries in the way that he wants to. And it can't, I can't make those decisions for him. But as someone that grew up with being forced to hug. Yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah. No, and I think it's important that we teach our kids, you know, that intuition and to follow it and to, mm -hmm. and to really believe in it and just really see it and talking about um, intuition and talking about how you lead your life. Um, the first chapter in your book, which was really just instructive for me, just I learned a lot and I thought I knew, you know, quite a bit about it. But um, your book has just really brought about like a whole set of questions, eight steps for communities of color to conquer the stock market. And um, one of the first chapters you you talk about, um, I have uh, my notes here. 
you know, just sort of like um, the mindset shift and like learning how you go into finding your finding your money, your money, um, money wounds. Yeah, your money wounds. Like what what is it about money that you're feeling, feeling, feeling deep, deep inside? Oh my gosh, that opened like a huge box for me when you when you started that chapter that way. I think it's your chapter for chapter one. Yes, yeah. I do address that in the first chapter. I address money wounds money and wounds, yeah. yeah, and just the um the ability to become self-aware and identify your personal relationship with money because I started to make my own personal self discoveries about money and just exploring the energy of money and understanding that a, that not a lot of times and I think sometimes it's hard for me to say this that always the amount of money that you generate is tied to your own personal beliefs surrounding money and your own personal values in terms of how much you value yourself, how much you can charge. This bleeds into the negotiation of a job. This bleeds into if you're an entrepreneur pricing your business. If you can't identify your own personal relationship, then it's always going to be an issue and it's always going to be a block. So I, my work is very much rooted in not blaming external experiences or external circumstances, because those are circumstances we can't control and instead focus on our own personal beliefs and identifying false beliefs, meaning false narratives that we have that are ruling our lives. And so the reason I address that in chapter one in an investing book on the stock market is because I strongly believe that it does not matter how much financial literacy you gain. If you are not first and foremost addressing your personal relationship with money and your internal dialogue and your beliefs, then it doesn't matter how much financial literacy you gain because there might be a part of you that believes that wealthy people are greedy, that believes that money is the root of all evil. And if those are your uh, core beliefs, then it's going to be impossible to begin building wealth. It is impossible because those those blocks really keep you from pursuing more and doing more because you're constantly thinking about how you were raised with money, how your parents felt about money. Um, My mother hated credit cards because she said, you know, they're you should never use them if you don't have to. And then when I got married, my husband got me a few credit cards and he was like, you know, you can use it whenever you want. I said, no, no, I'm okay, I'm fine. And he was like, why? Like, what's the problem? Like, uh. Like, oh, well, my mom, you know, she just never liked the credit cards. He was like, well, because maybe she couldn't pay them at the end of the month. You know, there's different reasons why people feel how they feel, you know, Um, just holding on to to because my, you know, the way that I was raised was very different from the way that my husband was raised. We're both kids of immigrants, but even if we are the kids of immigrants, we have different mentalities. And he was very quickly thought about like how to how to how to invest and how to make money. Like they were very business oriented. I didn't grow up with that. So when I got married to him, I had to adjust to his mentality. And my mentality was like, no, you save, 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 save. You don't spend, you don't spend, you don't spend. You just keep putting money, putting money away. And he was like, "Uh, no, we're going to be putting money away, but we're going to make our money work for us. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And it's something you address in in your book. It's like how we have to break those chains in order for growth to happen and for us to start actually making money 
and doing something about it. Yeah, a lot of the times with uh, just highlighting different perspectives on money, different beliefs, I talk about um, my aunt and uncle who are very wealthy, um, have restaurants and businesses. So I got to see them live their life completely different than the way we grew up living our lives. So the dynamic, I think, of the two was extremely interesting. But I think what someone that understands that is business savvy um, or has less fear tied to money understands that money is a tool. It's not an emotion, comp- an emotional component people get so attached to money that it's if they're losing it, they act as if they're losing their own minds. Like if they're losing their own lives, they go into hyper panic and hyper drama. And it's important for us to understand that money is not part of our emotions. It's not part of our body. It is simply a tool and we can create it and we can lose it over and over and over again. And it's just a process, but what's important is understanding how it works. Right. And I think that's why your book is so important because I think it also goes through like, after you, you, you look inside, after you reflect on your own money issues and your money woes and your money challenges, you really do talk a little bit more about, okay, now you've gone through that talk with yourself, you've self-reflected Now we can get you to start thinking about how to invest in the stock market. And you give us your story of when you were in Netflix, uh, working at Netflix. You've had a trajectory that's like so amazing from Texas to California, uh, you know, uh, movie studios, film studios. Now you're also a podcaster. Now you're doing speaking engagements, books as an author. Um, Tell me a little bit more about how you why it's so important for you to have a book out there that talks about the stock market and talks about wealth building with our community. Absolutely. So this is what drives me wholeheartedly. I mean, obviously I'm passionate about the stock market. So there's two things. I'm very data driven. I've, because I worked in television, radio, and in the movie industry, we were dependent on data whether someone was listening to a commercial, clicking on the commercial, watching the movie, buying the tickets, what cities were the tickets selling in, who was buying the movie tickets. So all of my career has been based on actual data. It's something I really enjoy understanding. Like I'm the weird person that when the Nielsen report comes out, which is a report that does um, surveys on the Mm -hmm. country, I, it's like my favorite, my favorite time of the year, like, or the census data. And so I used to use that to build cases on why folks needed to advertise or whatever the case may be for my jobs in previous jobs that I had. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to really learn about the stock market, more so because first and foremost, it was benefiting me and I was putting my money to work and I was growing money. But then when I understood the actual data that only 15% of Americans invest directly into the stock market. So I'm not talking about if you have a 401k and you have exposure to stocks, that is not the same thing. If you have mutual funds and you have exposure to stocks, that is not the same thing. I am talking about if you yourself are an owner of Apple stock, Netflix stock, Google stock, Amazon stock, whatever stock, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, if you yourself are the owner, only 15% of Americans are. 
With that being said, there's only three ways to build generational wealth in this country. One is by uh, starting your own business, becoming an entrepreneur. So having an idea, selling a service, creating a product. The second is via real estate. And the third way is via the stock market. So now let's go back to the statistic of only 15% of Americans are directly invested into the stock market. Mm-hmm. 90% of those uh, of those 15% of Americans are white. 1% are black and 0.5% are the Latina community. And 90% of shares are owned by the top wealthiest people in this country. This means that the top wealthiest people, the top 10%, the wealthiest people in this country are owners of almost all of the stock. And I can't help but to think that this is by design. Yeah, I was just going to say. mm -hmm, It is so confusing to me why we are not educated on it. There's so many people that are educated in in, um, in finance that are financial advisors that have their series seven that are qualified and they will tell you stocks are risky. Don't do that. They're speaking from a perspective of they don't know. They haven't invested. They're, yeah. they're too afraid to invest. Yeah. Uh, you know, 85% of Americans are too afraid to invest. And at the core of being afraid of something, Alicia, is not, not knowing. Yeah, and that's why they're fearful. Because yeah. they haven't learned enough about something, right? Yes, yes. I think the more you know about something, the, the less fearful you are of it and the more yeah. open you are to learning something new. And I think that's how... My my growth happened is that I started to let go of that fear and letting go of like my my mentality that I grew up with and just adopting more of his, which is more of a risk taker mentality, more of like, a, you know, you just go through and he always says to me, you'll learn through it. Yeah, you may lose money in this business, but you were you're going to learn like you have to know that that is part of the process. Because whenever we had businesses, or we had like our first houses that we invested in, and uh, one of the houses didn't sell for for what we wanted, and we lost a little bit, or maybe we just came like literally um, right on par with what we spent on the house, and we didn't make anything out of it. I was so disappointed. I was so sad. I said, oh, why, you know, I'm regretting this. And he said to me very clearly, you have to remember that when you go into business, you have to accept that there's going to be losses and there's going to be wins and you have to be okay with it. And the quicker you get through those things and quicker you delete that, um, that, the pity from your head, the quicker you get to move on to the next thing. And so that was a learning lesson for me because I, for me, it was like, you lose a hundred dollars, just a hundred dollars. Oh my gosh. Because that's yeah. what I grew up with. Sure. Yes. It, we In the market, in the stock market, we call that market tuition. We call yeah. it tuition. It's the price you pay for education and it's valuable. And it's just like, we look at it as a loss. Like most of us emotional, uh, being emotionally tied to money, we look at it as a loss, but in the market, as you become a seasoned investor, you look at it as tuition. I paid tuition for this experience and this lesson learned. It's not going to go in vain. 
I can't regret it. I need to look and assess, be very clear, look and, ex- and assess where did I make my mistakes so that I don't make this mistake next yeah. time. Not yeah. so that I retreat and never do this again. I knew this was a, a mess. Why did I read yeah. Linda's book? You know? No, that was that was kind of like my mentality back then. You know, like I was like, gosh, I'm kind of regretting doing this. This isn't good. He was, you, he, he, I'm going to tell him what you said, market tuition. I'm going to say, you were telling me about this. And now there's a word for it. It's called market tuition because that's exactly what you were saying. He calls it just like a learning lesson and like lessons as you go along. And if you're going to jump in, you're going to lose and you know you just have to come back from that and not dwell on it because I will dwell Linda I will dwell on any loss like I just go through it like oh I can't believe I did that why didn't I know better and he always says you could have done everything right you could have you know and you could have researched the stock you could have looked into it you could have done everything correctly he goes but there's a lot of factors out there that you can't control yeah and that is something that's in your book as well like you say that you're like, go with your gut, go with your intuition, but research, learn as much, and then try and go for it. And if it doesn't work out, because you have a loss, you talk about a loss in your yeah. book. And yeah. that's, that's, that's a really good uh, part of it too. But I thought like, you know, the way you saw your loss, you mm-hmm. were upset about it. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you said, okay, that's not going to keep me from like pushing ahead. Yeah, it was... You know, when you said, because when you just mentioned a few seconds ago, how you were ruminating about like, if you lose something, you ruminate and I failed or whatever the dialogue is for you. Yeah, it reminded me of that experience because I was ruminating for, you know, a few days and ashamed and embarrassed. And I was like, I lost this money. And it was a it was a lot to me. And you know, I, I knew I was like, I have to let this go. And so everything that I talk about in the book is solely based on my own personal experience. I'm not speaking out of context or from what I think should happen. It's basically written on my mistakes and the lessons that I've learned through this process. I've been an investor for only 12 years. I know that in, in, in the in terms of being an investor compared to my white counter male old counterparts i'm extremely young and maybe i have still a lot to learn but i think that i was i'm in the perfect position to write a beginner's book from my personal perspective of having money wounds of growing up as a child of in- immigrants and base and being really close to my tenor my my 10 years of um learning about the market, because I hope to be, you know, like Warren Buffett, dare I say, yeah, <laughs> and, a, and a lover and continue to invest in the stock market. And I don't want to get to the place where I forget these small lessons where losing $1,200 meant everything to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, of course. Are you going to drive the same Toyota for like 40 years like he does? <laughs> Are you going to go through the same McDonald's <laughs> drive through no. like he does? He always orders the same thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I will. He's an investor. It's important to understand he's an investor in McDonald's. Yeah. So he he consumes what he invests. So I drive what I invest in. What I do do still is there's the taco, the Jack in the Box story in the in the book, and I so yeah. there are like experiences that I do keep in my heart. He's um extremely frugal, but 
Yeah. And, and I don't subscribe to that. I am a woman that I definitely want luxury, but what I do subscribe to that is that I want to hold on to is my long-term vision on how to invest. He's a long-term shareholder and he uses his portfolio as leverage to, you know, he uses his portfolio as leverage, like his billions of dollars, you know, he, he does hold heavy cash, but he also is a long-time um, uh, investor. And so that is what I want to reflect. And I think that is a good tip that also comes across in your book that you do mention, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to remember that you're going to have to keep your money in there, even through the flows, the ebbs and flows, Mm -hmm. because you're going to have the ups and downs in the stock market. But it's like you said in your book, like you have to remember that you're, you did it, hold it. And then let's see what happens after that. Right. Like that's something that he's definitely very big on um, as, as frugal as he is as well. Like he does, um, read every morning the newspaper and he starts to look at the companies that are coming about and what's happening. I was telling my husband yesterday, cause I was telling him all about your book and he's super into all that. Cause he's very much a, a, a businessman. And I said, babe, we should have invested in Ozempic. Like it is a big thing right now. It's like a trend. He's like, Oh yeah, I looked into it and it's too expensive now. <laughs> Yeah. You know how yeah. everybody's getting on that trend on like yeah. lost trend. Yes. I'm like, gosh, you know, and Lin- and Linda said that, like, follow your intuition and look at what's going on around you and pay attention. And I'm like, that should have been a stock we should have bought. And he goes, Oh, I looked into it, but it's too expensive at this point. I'm like, oh, but that's what she's talking about. Let's pay attention to what's going around in our community, yeah. what's going on on social and trending. Um Linda, I make a cut off because it's just the the thing, but I'll just redo it again with you. Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Because I think it's telling me it's we were like four minutes down, but um, I'll just restart it again. Sure. Another okay. Week. I mean, if that's okay, if you still have. Yeah. Time. No. Yeah. I got time. Okay. Good. Good. So let me ask you about this. This was a topic that came up on a podcast episode I was listening to. I love to listen to um, Professor Scott Galloway. And there was a question about um, generational wealth. And I think one of the things that you talk about in your book as well is like how to create generational wealth. But the other thing that they that he mentions on there is the consequences of giving our kids the money that sure. we, you know, sure. procure over yes. a lifetime. So do you have an opinion on that? I do. And it's strong. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure who you're quoting, but I do have questions about the person that you're quoting. Is he white? Yes. Did he, he's a yes. White older gentleman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he, I think that the, that children of white men and women mm-hmm. have completely different privileges when growing up in this country that do not compare to the privileges that we don't have as uh, Black Americans, Latino Americans in this country. And so their starting point is much easier. I'm sure their parents can at least give them a solid education to start from. And like for many of us, uh, especially if our parents were not business savvy, uh, you know, or were always service workers, we're starting from a completely different place. They're also... Yeah, they're also growing up with, you know, parents that are savvy and are um, absorbing information by osmosis. 
I'm sure that their parents started investing for them and have a portfolio for them. And it may not be leaving all of their riches, but I have an issue with, with white men saying that because they say that a lot and it does not compare to where and how we start. 